So let me get this straight. You're Dracula, the guy, the Count? I am. This isn't just some fanboy thing, because I fought more than a couple of pimply overweight vamps that call themselves Lestat. You know who I am, as I would know without question that you are Buffy Summers. You've heard of me? Naturally. You're known throughout the world. Nah, really? Why else would I come here? For the sun? I came to meet the renowned Killer. Yeah, I prefer the term Slayer. You know, Killer just sounds so... Naked? Like I paint clowns or something. I'm the good guy, remember? Perhaps, but your power is rooted in darkness. You must feel it. Buffy frowns and ponders this for a moment. No. You know what I feel? Bored. She lunges at him with her stake. He dissolves into smoke. As she straightens up, looking confused, he reappears behind her. She turns, lunges again. He dissolves into smoke again. Buffy looks around. Okay, that's cheating. Xander and Willow walk up. Hey, Buff, what's up? You look like you just saw... Get out of here, now. Fine, I was gonna give you a sip of my double mint mocha, but... Behind you! Willow and Xander turn and see Dracula. Hi! Nice! Look who's got a bad case of Dark Prince envy. I have no interest in you. Leave us. No, we're not going to leave you. And where'd you get that accent, Sesame Street? (laughs) One, two, three, three victims! Ma-ah-ah-ah! Dracula looks annoyed. Xander, I'm pretty sure that's Dracula. Wow, really? Oh, sorry man, I was just uh, joking around. This is not the time. I will see you soon. He spreads his cape out and moves toward them, turning into a bat and flying over their heads as they all duck and yell. The bat flies away, squeaking. They straighten up and look around. The bat comes back and flies around Buffy's head. She covers her head Ah. with her hands. (laughs) Bat! Ooh, bat! (laughs) Wow. Okay, this has been the dorkiest thing I've ever done in my life. Thank you. (laughs) Welcome to Slayer Fest 98 and the season premiere of season five. Yay! I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford. And I'm your other host, Matthew Rodriguez. And today with us, we have two amazing guests. We have with us New York Times bestselling author, Kirsten White. Yay, hi. Who did an amazing hi. Dracula. Yes. As Dracula. Like, <laughs> like Allison Hannigan as Willow, it's Kirsten White as Dracula. <laughs> um, and we have PhD in Twitter's biggest crush, Anthony Oliveira, both of whom oh. are official Scoobies. Yay. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Um, and welcome to the Scoobies, Kirsten. Nice yeah. work. Yes, I'm so excited. I feel like really, I mean, writing official Buffy books wasn't enough. Now I feel like. <laughs> now I'm, you're in. I'm a real fan. Yes. Yeah. The way that you can casually drop your resume in a sentence is amazing. <laughs> your jacket was impressive. I'm like blown away. Where did that come from? You were honestly very mystical. Yeah. Like. Well, no, I, I literally watched the episode like 30 minutes ago, so it helped. Maybe you have darkness within you too. Maybe that's you know, the I I have actually walked where the original Dracula walked, so I, I breathed in the mist climbing to his ah. mountain fortress. So I probably have a little bit of him lodged in my soul. <laughs> um, that sounds great. Uh, so I am very excited that we're at season five because season five is my favorite, um, and I think. From the start, Buffy looks fucking fantastic. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, She's got that wavy Farrah Fawcett hair happening yeah, this season. The hair Do we feel great. like that's extensions? Because I watched the whole episode trying to figure it out, and I feel like it is, but I'm not sure. I don't know enough about women's, like, the... It's like when I can appreciate good makeup, but I don't have any idea how it's done. I similarly mm-hmm. can never clock a wig in my life. Like, I've never yeah. been like, that's a wig! Like, I have no idea, but it's gorgeous. Yeah, I, I literally have in my notes, her hair looks really good. <laughs> <laughs> She yeah, probably but- is benefiting from the lack of HD. It's like when you watch The Good Wife and you can see her lace front all the time on The Good <laughs> Wife. It's like Buffy has the benefit of being very fuzzy. It's true. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and when she does that turnaround in the cemetery, that looks like a hair commercial. Like, uh-huh. yeah. was she doing hair commercials at the time? Like, she I must have. Had some she, I think she might have been. Yeah, I, I feel like there was a legit. Was either, the most, the most hair important commercials are clear as hell. The most oh. important Sarah Michelle Gellar commercial is when she was a child actor and she did a Burger King commercial. Look yes, it up on that's right. Oh. She was like sued because yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, because she mentions McDonald's in it and they were like, McDonald's went after the little girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I feel like the opener is weirdly brief for a season premiere, like a season opener. Um, and I was wondering... When do we think Buffy sleeps? Because I feel like it doesn't seem that out of the ordinary that she might wake up and be like, oh, let me go kill some vampires. Um, Yeah, because she works at night. Right? Like, that's when she works. Um, But I feel like she works at night, like, she, I mean, except maybe for the summer when it, but we don't see Buffy during the summer because of television, Uh (laughs) of September through May television back (laughs) in the day. But I feel like she just, like, goes out to patrol when it starts getting dark, and then she still gets home by, like, midnight or one and then sleeps. I, am I misremembering that somewhere in the mythos of this show, or maybe in the original movie, one of the Slayer's powers is like they don't need much sleep? Not misremembering. That oh, is okay. actually one of Slayer's abilities is they can go with less sleep than normal. I thought yeah. that so was so depressing. Yeah, terrible. Ability. Well, so, I love sleep, but also I'm a night person, so I would love like if Buffy, like if I had that power, I would just go out and then maybe sleep from like five to ten, and that's like five <laughs> hours. And that'd be fun. Yeah, yeah, that sounds same. perfect. It really Except does. Um, actually, now that you mentioned this, is kind of the most of a summer episode we ever get, right? Like yeah. them at the yeah. beach, like that sort of whole, they're talking about what the summer has been like, which is not usually a thing that they do. Um, it has a certain, like we kind of feel fall arrive in this episode with that storm, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do really love the beach scene. I love the football to the face so much. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so much. And also <laughs> it's such a cute scene of Tara trying to fit in with the witty banter and it doesn't quite work. But you can see how hard she's trying to fit in, and I love her so much. Yeah. As she's playing with her tarot thing, cards. I know. I love that they were like, Tara, <laughs> you're just playing with tarot cards. And she's like, I'm at the beach. Can I like be holding a hot dog or something? And they're like, no. You are stuffy, and you are still playing with cards. You have a one-track mind. It's like her version of solitaire is just... All the <laughs> cards have naked women on them because you are a witch lesbian, and that's all you think about. Um, like, no, but I do like that Tara is kind of past the bumbling awkward phase and they made her a real yeah. person. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and I also just, I always say that I want this, but it's just nice to see, like, my baby sitting around having fun. Like, yeah. we don't mm-hmm. get much of that with them. Like, nor- like the rainstorm, of course, ruins their fun, but it's not, 
a monster trying to kill someone ruining their fun yeah. that we normally get. See, this yeah. is how deep your bias against season four is, because season four, all they did was literally play cards <laughs> and you criticized them. Your babies, as you call them Freudianly, were playing <laughs> cards for all of season four. Uh, um, I guess. There are some like questions raised in the course of this episode, like Joyce still doesn't know, seem to know that Willow and Tara are dating. Like she doesn't. Yeah. But then right. she does in the next episode. Yeah, by the next episode, she makes ref- Dawn sort of heavily implies that Joyce is uncomfortable talking about it. So, I so, think they just really, really wanted to land that joke that yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes you feel like giving up on men entirely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And maybe things... she knows and just hasn't thought about like the implications of what she just said. Uh-huh. One of the things I dislike about this episode of a lot of things I don't like is... Like, I feel like the beginning and the end just kind of, I mean, I feel like the whole episode kind of exists to service the last 30 seconds, but yeah, the it's kind of like they needed a dark and stormy night, so they had the beach scene as a way for Willow to cause a dark and stormy night, when they could have <laughs> just been like, hey, it rained in Southern California for once, I don't know. Oh, I'm surprised to hear you both. I love this episode. Like, it might I be one of... I love this episode, too. It no, might be in my top I'm ten. I'm the one who doesn't like it. Oh, um, oh okay. Wait, so that's yeah, funny. Yeah, it's, it's for sure my top ten. And the, and Willow didn't cause the storm, because remember she yelled, I didn't do this, and the storm <laughs> is a very I thought it was that she definitely thing. did it, but that she just didn't want to take responsibility, but that it was very clear that she did it. Oh, oh. I, I felt like it was a book reference, because a huge yeah. storm preceded him, and the boat landing... Yeah, so I I felt like it was a I felt like it was a literary okay. reference. I I dig the ambiguity because um one of the reasons I love this episode so much is that I really like the beginnings of seasons because it's the moment when you can see most lucidly what they want the season to be about, and I think that every beat of this episode is really servicing the major structural arcs of what yes. they think the season is going to be, and having that moment where Willow's like we just as we we know they've had like a quiet summer, we see that Willow has had a casual power upgrade, but yeah. we immediately see there is going to be a darkness that follows that upgrade, right? Like mm-hmm. that every little, every minor beat of this episode can be read into the macro of like, well, Willow's going to lose it and there's going to be a storm at the end of this episode with Willow too. Oh yeah, um, no, yeah. The, the foreshadowing in the episode is really good. I just mean, I don't like watching it. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> not, that Willow part, I think, is really, it almost ties a line directly to Triangle, saying that, like, Willow's power will be strong, but, like, it will always have a consequence, which is why I like reading it as Willow. I mean, it's it's always how you want to read it, right? I like reading yeah. it as, as Willow caused the storm, because it's a it's what season five is about, right? That Willow's power is, is not balanced or stable. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, this is, uh, again, like, Dracula's arrival is directly caused by what they did at the end of season four, right? Like he is, if if not literally why he's motivated by it, he is sort of the math working itself out of that first Slayer spell that Buffy is now tapping into her darkness and she needs a way to start doing that. And Dracula is sort of the first version of that. So that storm that arrives, even though Willow may deny it's her fault, is actually a direct consequence of the spell that she has done. True. Well, so that kind of does go into the next scene because the scene after the causing the storm, I think, is the first encounter, right? Oh no, well, we have to. Talk, we can talk about Giles and Willow really quickly, and Giles telling Willow that he's going to go. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, I I have this in my notes for this scene. What Anthony just said is that it's crazy. This feels like a pretty basic 
premiere. I love it, but it does feel pretty basic storyline-wise, and you don't realize it actually is setting you up for seasons five and six, you know, because Dallas yeah. doesn't actually leave until the sixth season. Um, yeah, and it does a really good job of, like, very casually just, like, moving all the chess pieces. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I do really appreciate that. And, you know, it is... I was wondering... So Giles, you know, he tells Willow he's going to leave, and she, throughout the episode, drops, like, very heavy-handed, well, Giles, <laughs> we really needed you. Um, but I always wish we had gotten, like, Giles telling her, oh, wait, I am staying. Like, we don't get a scene where he's like, oh, wait, never mind, I am staying. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, well, I think that is supposed to be what's read into the look on the end at the end of this episode where she says that she needs him, and then he's like, oh, I don't have anything to say, because he was supposed to say, I'm leaving. Well, no, no, I but meant, like, said... him telling Willow. Oh. Because he, yeah. like, confides off, in her that he's leaving. Scene. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I I wanted to say that I think not only does Buffy look great, but I think I love, for me, seasons five and three are my favorites. And I feel like her outfit in this is a direct reference to season three, because she's wearing black leather pants, or red leather pants and a black turtleneck. Mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like that's a reference to her season three outfit. I, I just thought it was, as I was watching it, I was remembering the, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Joel Schumacher, uh, Phantom of the Opera film. Um, I think there's a, I think there's some color coding happening in the episode because Dracula is all blacks and reds. And as characters are enthralled to Dracula, Buffy is wearing those pink pants and Xander is wearing that pink shirt. So it's like the same thing that uh, Schumacher does where everyone is in black, but the Phantom's in red and Christina's in pink because she's in his thrall, right? She's been Mm. tainted by him. So as soon as she gets seduced, she puts on that red handkerchief, but then she starts wearing the pink pants and then Xander's in that terrible. Xander has this great thing that's happening in his costuming all through season five where he's like wearing these incredibly. This is the first time I've watched this episode on a really big TV. And in that first scene that we just read, he's wearing that sparkly Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. (laughs) They painted him. They painted him really like monochromatically and he had a lot of simple geometric shapes and the fits on his outfits were actually really tight. Yeah, his body, and then this season, everything he wears is multicolored and flowy. Yeah, he's dressed like Ernie from the Power Rangers. He's dressed like Grace and Frankie in one person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's like I mean, it is sort of I I mean, we're very soon going to get the episode where Xander splits in two, right? Like Mm -hmm. he is he explicitly is processing his emasculation in this episode, where he's like, "No more butt monkey" at the end, like. And I, I kind of like that he's wearing this, like, disco shirt at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> Although we blew right past that gorgeous tank top he's wearing on the beach, which I love. He looks so good in that beach scene. Well, I mean, um, and Matthew and I have said this. I think four and five are when Xander looks the best. Mm, like, mm. he gets, like, a little thicker, and he looks like, I don't know. He, You know, he's still, like, hot when he's, like, a twink, but I think he looks hotter when he gets, like, thicker. Yeah. Um, His hair is also floppier in this season, which I really like. Yes. I think season six and seven, the hair doesn't look... It, like, gets too much. But I think season five, it looks really good. So Buffy's having dinner with her mom (laughs) and says that she's going to go out on patrol. (laughs) Yes. And we get an important beat from Joyce that um, it gets so quiet without you here. So we know that Dawn does not yet exist, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and we get another... 
it's... when she lets Dracula in, she also is like talking about her loneliness. So like Dawn literally like, doesn't exist until the moment Buffy sees her, it seems, yeah. at the end. Like mm-hmm. she's currently being transmogrified by some strange <laughs> yeah. monks. Well, and I think it That's also... what Dawn would be doing right now is being transmogrified. It's, Im- <laughs> it's important that Dawn that Joyce says that because that sets you up for like, you know, they say maybe we should make a habit out of this, like their dinner mm-hmm. date. Because mm-hmm. then Buffy does, and you know, Buffy does spend most of her time at home in this, this season. season. Yeah, well, she doesn't. Been... She doesn't live on campus, I don't think. Right? Doesn't she? No, move she back? moves back home right yeah, after she... moving campus. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't. I literally don't even remember a scene of her living in her dorm room in this season. It only exists to move her out of. Yeah. It. Like it's yeah. literally yeah. just. There's one scene of it. Because <laughs> yeah. in family, that's what they're doing when Tara first yeah. tells her. I forget what it is. The so insect like, reflection joke yeah. happens while they're moving Buffy up, oh, yeah. right. which is the beginning of season five. <laughs> right. I mean, the, the beginning of episode five. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, All right. And also, yeah, like, I feel like that's an important piece that they move as well, that they like have Joyce explicitly say, hey, you, you're not around. I'm pretty lonely. Um, and mm-hmm. we know that that's like a theme of the season is like Buffy being there for Joyce, like quite literally. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. And yeah. her guilt about it, right? Which yeah. came out, that's sort of what the scene in Restless was about, where she's like, Joyce is stuck in the wall and Buffy can't seem to find the time to get her out. The like yeah. minimal amount of effort it seems it would take to get her out, Buffy just walks away. <laughs> I found on the Wikipedia page, but I know that I've read this somewhere else, and there it did say citation needed, so this could be false. It says that the vampire who was going to show Buffy her darker side was originally envisioned as just another vampire who rode a horse and was, quote-unquote, all cool. Says Marty Noxon. <laughs> I kept saying like Dracula until Joss Whedon said, why not Dracula? He's public domain. Right. Which I thought was... Well, that ends up kind of being what happens with the immortal on Angel, right? The sort of unseen, cool, but not Dracula character yeah. at the very mm-hmm. end of that show. Um, Kirsten, what's it like? Like, when I was a kid, I remember watching this episode and being like, ooh, this whole season's going to be about Dracula. And I, like, I had a really bad time understanding camp as a kid. <laughs> Uh-huh. And like, so it, I didn't really pick up all the clues that this was sort of making a burlesque. Like, what's it like putting your hands on like public domain characters like that? Because you've done that before too, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's really fun because you can kind of play. The way I say it is, you're functioning um, almost a shorthand. You have to do a lot less work because mm-hmm. the reader, or in this case, the viewer, is bringing their knowledge to the table with them. So you can just kind of build on top of that without laying all the groundwork because that's already been laid. Um, so it's just, it's just fun to sort of be able to take it and then twist it or, you know, just have fun with it. Like, I just feel like this episode is so much fun mm-hmm. and so many fun <laughs> details that didn't even need to be there. Like the wolf up on the rooftop following them and like all these little, all these little things that just are references to the book um, that they didn't have to do any groundwork for, which is really fun. Yeah, it feels like they made a list. Like, what has to happen in every Dracula movie? You gotta have yeah, the mist. Yep. You gotta have the wolf. You gotta have the bat. And then they just had as much. Like, I love. You know, it's really gonna be like. You know what the episode is about? When he turns into a bat and he like flies away, but then he like comes back and like yeah. <laughs> bothers them again. I like love that this episode not just is playing with the tropes, but all the characters in the episode know the tropes. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. They all know what to expect dracula to do and like spike is fully annoyed because he has like popularized the myth of vampires to the point that it's like he has been the most dangerous thing that ever happened to vampires Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it turns 
the way that Buffy has always made her knowledge of pop culture into a weapon, into the most explicit version of that, right? Like, mm-hmm. she they all know what the problem is with Dracula because they are good readers of pop culture. And I just love that so much. And it just, like, delights in it, the whole episode. Um, like, the, with the climax at the end where she's like, you always come back, right? Like, yep. she knows how to read him. And it's, like, it's why she can get past... I think this is the first episode you guys have had me on that was written by Marty Noxon. And it's I'm fascinated by the way she kind of knew she knew Twilight was coming before it came and like was already dealing with the stuff after it. Um, This Dracula episode lands like halfway between the Angel episodes and the Spike episodes. And she's really thinking about like, what actually does it mean for a woman to be attracted to the bad boy? And I really Mm -hmm. like that she sort of gets to do one like very quick mission statement about it. Yeah. Okay, do you guys want to hear um, some funny, something funny about Dracula, the concept? Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, this is kind of my thing, we'll be honest. So, Dracula um, was inspired, allegedly, by Vlad Sepish, Vlad the Impaler, also known as Vlad Dracul, who was a 15th century Romanian prince who was so notoriously violent that he inspired Dracula. Um, so, imagine if you're Romanian and people have taken one of the big historical figures of your country, like one of the only people that ever made an impact and really fought for your country in a significant way and then turned him into this supernatural creature. It'd be like if you went to, uh, (laughs) it'd be like if you went to Europe and you found out that in Norway, they have this whole storyline revolving around George Washington being a swamp monster. It's just like, (laughs) what? Anyway, so I knew all that. And my husband and I went to Romania in 2010 and I knew that generally they don't really like that like they will by all means they'll take advantage of it any big historical site you go to will have like dracula t-shirts and stuff but in general like they think it's kind of dumb and so we're sitting down at this cafe and these like 20 something year old guys are sitting next to us and they're talking to each other in romanian which i don't speak my husband does um and they're talking they're dracula 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 and i'm like wow, these guys are having a really intense discussion about Dracula. Like, it must be a much bigger part of their lives than I thought. Two a few days later, when my husband tells, just mentions in passing that Dracula is basically the equivalent of the F word, and I was like, oh, that makes so much more sense. Oh. Um, huh. Really? So it means, like, devil or demon, so... Um, dragon, right? Dra- yeah, yeah, but dragon was interchangeable with demon, so it was kind of both. Oh. Yeah, That's so too. neat. Also, your husband yeah. speaks Romanian? Holy shit. Yeah, he speaks <laughs> Romanian and Arabic and Greek, and he's learning Icelandic because he's just like, I don't know, you guys, there's something wrong with him. He's so smart. God, my English isn't good, and I grew up with a family that speaks <laughs> Spanish, and I still barely understand it. <laughs> um, yeah, like in the evenings when I'm like, all right, I guess I'm going to watch Buffy again. He's like, I guess I'll study my three foreign languages and practice guitar, and I'm like, it's so much better than I am. But it's cool. Um, he's so- it's Bucky. cool because he's also really hot, so it's fine. It comes <laughs> Stop bragging, Kirsten. <laughs> anyway, Matthew. So Buffy meets Dracula. <laughs> yes. I, and do you like how I was the one who was like, I need us to stay on task this time because I've got to go. Um, yes. I love this first scene with Dracula. I think it is so funny how she's fangirling over him and like so flattered that he knows who she is and like it's great. It's such a great scene. I It's, it's funny because I was going to tell you guys and Matthew, um, the writers of this episode don't actually love this episode. Like Marty Noxon in the Slayers and Vampires Oral History of Buffy and Angel book, she says she doesn't think they quite got there with this episode. Um, oh my god. And Stephen Denight and David Fury both say how they didn't want to use Dracula because they felt it lessened the show. 
by like having this like famous fictional character on it and that it kind of broke their rules. I think it works perfectly within the Buffy universe and especially with the way they meet him. So it's interesting. One of the questions I always have about all media is like whether other media exist in that media. So example, (laughs) my question is like, in a Reese Witherspoon movie, let's take Sweet Home Alabama, for instance. Like, do, <laughs> Always. Do, do Reese Witherspoon movies exist in that universe is a question that I always ask. Like, can the character in that movie, like, pop in Cruel Intentions and watch it, right? Right, right. Like, I guess my favorite, one of my favorite versions is, like, Ocean's 12, where Julia Roberts exists oh and God. Julia Roberts' character. Yeah. Everyone is not talking about how much she looks like Julia Roberts. <laughs> right. The other so, version I really like is on 30 Rock, where, um, what's his name? Jack Donnie's nemesis is Alec Baldwin, liberal actor Alec Baldwin. <laughs> right. So my so my question always for Buffy versus Dracula is like whether Bram Stoker's Dracula exists because they say that they know a lot about him, but this is also a world in which there are people who know that um, vampires are real. So I don't know whether like Bram Stoker's Dracula is considered like maybe that person actually met Dracula and this is more like it's not some people think it's a novel, but it's actually like realistic. Like I want to know what they think of Bram Stoker's book in this universe and like whether that's a mythology about him or whether it's read as fiction. Actually, I know the answer to this based on the comic series that came after, which is really good. It's called Mm -hmm. Spike. Last time I brought up the comic series, you said comics don't count. You yelled at me. (laughs) I know, but this time I have something interesting to say, so it's fine. Uh, it's by Peter David, Spike versus Dracula. When Spike says that uh, Dracula owes him 11 pounds, it's actually because Spike bought a copy, a signed copy of Bram Stoker's Dracula to make Drusilla happy, but Dracula, in a rage, threw it into a fire, and it cost 11 pounds, and Spike has spent 100 and something years trying to get his money back. Well, and, and in the comics, they actually have Dracula as like a reluctant ally sometimes and i think yeah in in season in season eight is it it eight or nine i couldn't remember Um, no it's eight because it's when they still have like her slayer army so it's eight um they go to japan because one of the slayer girls dies right and yeah and xander Um, has his strange relationship with dracula where he's still his like manservant but they're actually secretly best friends (laughs) yeah and also lovers let's be real (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. Um, well, that's the um, other um, thing about Dracula. Like, when you talk about Vlad Tepish, like, that is one origin. But the one that fascinates me is actually Bram Stoker was, like, insanely closeted. Like, very, very closeted. Uh, he wrote these letters to Walt Whitman. And one of the inspirations for Dracula is his boss. He was, like, a stage uh, playwright. And he was, like, nakedly in love with his employer. And, like, Dracula is, like, his attempt to process his own homoerotic feelings. Um so there's a lot of weird. So anytime Dracula shows up, there's always something intensely homosocial about it. Like, um, like in a Sedgwickian way, like it Buffy becomes the way that Dracula relates to Angel here, right? Like, there's something super gay about biting the scar mark another guy left on a woman, right? <laughs> um, and I love that he has the two punctures instead of like every other vampire on the show that has leaves like a bite mark. Vampire mm-hmm. just has. Little, <laughs> two little fang marks. I love yeah, that. Yeah, they thing. weren't afraid to throw their own their own rules out the window just for this one episode. And by like, I mean oh, I find okay. it entertaining, but also as a storyteller, I find it massively frustrating because they <laughs> threw their own rules out the window so many times. Um, right, right. But, but in this one, like the the lady vamps, which I love the lady vamps and Giles. That's my band name. Like Giles and the lady vamps. Um, yeah. 
but like how they have the yellow eyes but not the creepy faces and yeah. like it's I just I like that they were like well these these ones are going to be different I mean they they do a throwaway line of Spike saying oh it's just gypsy stuff mm-hmm. which for me is like good enough I'm like great I got that <laughs> one throwaway line that's all I need because I think the journey is really enjoyable so I don't mind mm-hmm. because actually Marty Noxon says that in her quote that she doesn't like throwing away the rules, like how that really bothered them, but Joss really wanted it. And mm-hmm. David Fury says he felt like it was having Batman in an episode of Buffy, and that he <laughs> would use logically saying that it flew in the face of the mythology of their vampires, and Joss mm-hmm. said, who cares? And in his quote he goes, and I said, well, I do, I care. Which is almost weird that like they were so against it and Joss was so into it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't think, think it, I think it's it weird. Works. I think that that's like the more it's probably like because Joss is a visionary and they're the people who have to actually do the work of keeping everything straight and Joss doesn't <laughs> have to do that. It's exactly yeah. sounds like a writer's room, like the person <laughs> uh-huh. having a crazy idea and they're all like, no, we can't do that. That's literally against everything we've built. What is wrong with you? I, I but mean, at the I same just... time, it subtends all this like like we have seen vampires have hypnotic powers before and it has never mm-hmm. been explained right like drusilla had it the yeah, master sure, yeah. had it like there's something well, the, well they explain it with drusilla because she had hypnotic power she had powers yeah. of vision before she was turned so she had oh, like that's true stuff yeah. that's why yeah because when like... she was a nun she was like she went to be a nun because she had these evil powers and she was trying <laughs> right. to like become a nun because she felt unholy it was like nondescript right. power Yes, she yeah. was probably like a witch or something who was turned into a vampire. So that's why she has that. The thing that I think I think bothers me about the buff, the Dracula mythology in the thing is that I actually feel like in its own way, Buffy has tackled Dracula mythology through the master because he is like this ancient vampire and like they they have a lot of um the, the, their mythos is is actually about like the way that the body changes when you've been a vampire for so long. So you have the master who became disfigured, and then you have Kakistos who was so old that his hands were cloven together. Right. And they go through a lot of um, I don't know. They go through like a lot of detail to say like what happens when a vampire has been around for a while. And I actually feel like they covered a lot of Dracula like stuff with the master. Um. So that was just like. It just felt like it did actually feel like a step backwards for me to to have to rest on this this vampire mythology when you've created a whole new one. But was see, <laughs> I guess I'm going to be on team. I like this. Um, like what I like about that is the boredom Buffy has for it. Like she keeps telling us how bored she is of it. Like you get things as first as tragedy, then as farce. And like this Dracula thing, the pleasure of it is that we get like Kirsten was saying, like because we know all the tropes. And because we've had we've dealt with this on Buffy with Angel, who is like the the shoe that eventually drops. Like that's what Riley's obsessed with. Like this is a pattern for her. Mm-hmm. We're sort of seeing the pattern reimpose itself. And as much as Buffy says, this is not about my darkness, she eventually has to deal with what is a very like Marty Noxon's obsession, maybe more than any writer in that room, is like Buffy coming to grips with that desire to be with the bad boy and like if you want to talk about bad boy vampires you eventually have to address dracula and it is sort of weird that he's almost never come up until now um but i do i actually i i I find a lot of pleasure in the unwillingness to play by the rules here and even just like the weird little linkages like not just hypnotism but like the gypsy thing like we have seen that uh, even what kirsten was saying about like 
you know, how would you feel if it was your culture that this was being done to? Dracula is a very Orientalist, racist story, right? Like, it, yeah. is about, it is about a foreign invader who is threatening your beautiful British women, right? And, like, Peter David does this cute thing where he ties... Dracula literally learns his powers from the same gypsy clan that curses Angel, uh, which is, like, really cute and, like, a nice little bow. But it is... Built into that is that, like, Orientalist trope, right? Like, foreigners are dangerous, <laughs> And will infect your blood. Am I the only one here who hasn't actually read Bram Stoker's Dracula? <laughs> it uh, probably yeah. I wrote papers. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> it's it's fun. It can be a slog because it's it's epistolary. It's like I feel like now the first 60... third is really fun, and then it gets really yeah. As soon as you start living in the newspaper clippings, it's like oh yeah. boy. <laughs> I, I just want to throw out this fun fact: the last girl I pretended to have a crush on when I was like nineteen had a whole sleeve of Bram Stoker's Dracula, like, art from one of the books that she loved all on her arm, and it looked really cool. <laughs> that does sound cool. Okay, okay. I'm going to move us to a different topic, and I one thing I love about this episode is everybody's reactions to Dracula. Yes, yes. I mean, Anya, like, the whole, like, oh, we used to hang out, Spike acting like a scorned woman, like, oh, <laughs> he's here, and, like, they all ha- they all bring their emotional baggage to Dracula in really funny ways. Or like Willow's like, oh, he was really handsome. And Tara's like, excuse me? This is when the show pretends like Willow never liked men when she did. Um, but yeah, so I just, I loved everybody's reactions to him. I thought were really funny and really telling. And Giles kind of had like a non-reaction to him. He was just like, well- oh, he's here. All right. And which was funny to me, I felt like Giles' reaction would have been bigger. It kind of reminds me of when in um, season two, when they got to do werewolves and Giles was so excited. <laughs> I really feel like Giles, they could have written Giles to be like, oh my God, Dracula's here. I have to go to the books. Like, he would really, want to interview him, right? Like, and he would, have, and he would have pulled out Bram Stoker's Dracula and they would have been yeah. like, that's a novel. And he'd be like, ha you think it's a novel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it, was a, it was a missed opportunity, I feel like. Also, um, I it feels almost impossible that it, Giles wouldn't have known that Dracula was real. Yeah, that for me, that's the only like discrepancy in the the right. show's mythology that I bothers me is that you know they have books written about Spike. There's no way that Giles wouldn't mm-hmm. have had a book saying, "Hey, Dracula's real. Here are the real things about him." Also, mm-hmm. why doesn't Riley know him and call him, like, Hostile Subterrestrial Number 34? <laughs> yeah. She's like, Maggie told me Dracula is real. We are keeping tabs on him. He is an international vampire yeah. terrorist. I actually find that note really strange when Riley says, like, if we, if the initiative was still around, we'd know everything about him in a minute. It's like, would they? Because they didn't yeah. seem to care about these monsters' backgrounds. Like, they didn't care. Like, yeah, Maggie they didn't Walsh care about the mystical like, stuff. Like, they didn't yeah. know about Buffy because they, it was mystical, so they didn't yeah. care. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I thought that was a strange bit of, it felt like they wanted us to remember who Riley was, but, like, they didn't have an elegant way to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh. It's true. Can I just say, my favorite joke of the entire series is in this episode. Oh. And it's when Xander, when they're all talking about Dracula, oh. and they're saying, like, negative things, and Xander, who's already been Renfielded, is um, <laughs> is getting all defensive. And he said, he says, the Dark Master Bader. causes, well, everybody <laughs> looks at him and he says, Bader. <laughs> and then a few, a few sentences later, again, he says, he refers to him, he says, the Unholy Prince. Bader. <laughs> and it is the cleverest play 
it's something that you couldn't do in writing. And I always really envy those books that you cannot replicate in writing um, that can only be shown like visually and, and um, audibly. But man, the Dark right. Master Vader and then the Unholy <laughs> Prince Vader. <laughs> so good. So dumb. I love it so much. Yeah. Xander is really, he's got a lot of good. I love the way he sounds as he's been Renfelded, like your excellent mm-hmm. spookiness. Like there's a real pleasure to the way he's trying to be simpering, but his like malapropisms keep dropping in, which I think yeah. Drew Goddard does a really good job of replicating in season, the season eight comics. Like he mm-hmm. just talks in this. I think everybody's voice is really great. This is one of the episodes that really charms me of Riley's. Like yes. when he's like, no, sir, no more chick pit for you. And he's like, you know what I've never noticed? A big he honking castle. <laughs> <laughs> or like when he punches Xander and he's like okie dokie like he, he talks in a way that nobody else quite does that sort of corniness that I really mm-hmm. enjoy <laughs> and I mean really I think I think Nicholas Brendan is doing some great work in this episode um, he has like I mean they I, on this show they all like really do have great comedic timing but uh, yeah you're right like the, just the little differences he does as being Reinfelded as opposed to when he's just regular Xander um also, I wanted to point out that when him and Dracula meet, I always assumed, I don't know why in my head that was Buffy's front lawn. I'm pretty sure it is Buffy's front lawn. They just film it from a side <laughs> yeah. angle. Yeah. <laughs> like this viewing, I was like, wait, they're not on Buffy's front lawn, but it looks like Buffy's lawn. Like it probably is. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, uh, it, he works really well. And I almost feel like, you know, this whole episode is moving the pieces to set up their arcs for the next season or two. I do feel like the no more butt monkey, quote unquote, was kind of Xander's arc they were interested in. They don't mm-hmm. quite get there. Like, you know, in the gift, he says the bricklayer picks up a spare. And I kind of think that's like that. And then his his speech to Dawn and potential are kind of like yeah. the closest we get to that arc of Xander with mm-hmm. no more butt monkey. So then we get Joyce and Tara with the girls, which is funny because then in the real me, Dawn explicitly mm-hmm. says that we like are told that Joyce knows. Um, and I feel like Joyce would be like a mom that would be like, Oh, okay. If they had told her, right. Like, I don't feel like she'd be. Yeah. I don't know. There's also the line when Willow is trying to test the waters with telling Xander that Giles is planning on leaving where he's like, Willow, everybody knows. Like there's a weird way where, I mean, it's actually a very true to life experience where Willow seems to be like having to come out multiple times. Like Mm -hmm. I kind of like that. It seems like she's had like a slow rollout all summer. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> which yeah. I really find like true to life as much as they tried to give her like a... the show is good about not having her be like I'm gay in one big scene she's sort of been doing it slowly by degrees negotiating it herself and I kind of like that that energy is still somewhat ambiguous here it buys us the time to get to family I think the episode mm-hmm. um, but she does even her style is starting to be a bit more distinctive this season everybody's in a lot more like jewel stuff this season um she seems to be matching tara in a detail i really like like there's like a pinkness that they're both wearing in that one scene well i mean i feel like five and six five is a slow build and then six is like they're like what does a lesbian witch wear Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, and season five they definitely start to do that i think season five has some of the best outfits um and i like i love everything buffy wears in this season um I don't know. I, I think, yeah, they definitely, like, must have gotten different costume designer. Because this season is Buffy wears some turtlenecks. She wears some, she starts wearing her jean jackets, which I really like. Um, and she wears hoops all season, which I fucking love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, okay, so then we get, what's next? So I want to talk about um, 
Dracula biting Buffy. Oh, yes. Because the show has many times, as we talked about, used being bitten as a sexual metaphor. And she was bitten without consent by the master. And then she consents to Angel biting her and basically orgasms. And then she gets unconsensually bitten by Dracula. Well, the consent is murky, but I think if yeah. it's, it, but you know, but consent cannot be murky. She does not say yes to it. <laughs> right. It's yeah. the, it's the throws thing. It's the thrall thing. Right. Um, but that is kind of, it's an interesting way that the show starts off because so, yeah. So basically I think that like, it's a larger metaphor that basically Buffy is sexually assaulted by Dracula, but it also starts this weird problem because she wants to hide it from her friends, right? Um, because mm-hmm. she's afraid that they're going to think that she let it happen, which is a very interesting kind of beat to that happening where she could have just said, like, you know, he has all these powers. He did it. I couldn't help it, you know? And then al- ultimately, we have to realize that, like, Dracula biting Buffy is what causes Riley to leave because Riley says when he leaves, like, ever since you've been bitten by Dracula, like, I felt like I couldn't compare or like, you know, I felt like you were really into the darkness thing and he goes and tries to get bitten. So it starts mm-hmm. this like half a season long arc of um, the darkness mixed with the sexuality. And of course, Buffy being sexually assaulted by a vampire a, a second time after the master. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think to me that also is, part of the good work that the episode does in being such a burlesque. Like, you could have had Dracula do the thing that T and me wanted it to do, which is make him the big bad, make him, like, the sexy bad guy that I think of him as being. Um, But if you make him a burlesque like this, if you make him a joke that you have to see past, if he's just cheap trick... Like, what I like about Giles' speech is he says, listen, it's like a lot of bells and whistles, but his goal remains the same. He's just going to turn you into a vampire. Um, He just wants to make victims of these women, and he enjoys making it feel like they're they're like giving consent that they're not giving right like the weird implication of those those three sisters is that they are his previous victims right like he just sort of collects women like this right. um and i like i like that the episode is like what it wants you to do is end up at the place that Buffy does where she can say, like, well, fuck you, that's really gross. Like, <laughs> I'm not playing this game, and I will negotiate what my darkness means on my own terms rather than having some man tell me what it means and have some person seduce me into believing they can instruct me into what my being is, right? Right. Right. Well, that's that's the interesting thing, too, is that, like, she rejects she rejects being told about her darkness by someone who is literally her assault, her assailant. Um, Mm -hmm. And then it actually kind of goes on this really great, like I spit on your grave rape revenge narrative um, for the rest (laughs) of the episode where she gets to kill the person who did this to her, but she then does go back over and over again. (laughs) Yeah. And then she, but, and then she does get to go to her father figure and be like, you are the one who I want to teach me about my darkness, not some guy who, you know, came in from, you know, uh, somewhere else and did this to me transylvania yeah <laughs> That's where he came in well from. we don't know that he came from transylvania right away because he travels true, he true. 
could have been in Nevada. He could have been coming nice... from Philly. <laughs> <laughs> or from the other Hellmouth in Cleveland. Right. Sure. <laughs> well, a nice thing about the way Giles handles the season is he gets out of the way a lot, right? Like, he facilitates Buffy's encounter with that entity that dresses as the first slayer and says, death is your gift, right? Like, he doesn't, like, hand her the books and is like, here's what you're going to do. He's very like, let me be your guide. Let me give you the material that you need. Um, which is, I, I really like the way the show sort of, I mean, they've made a point of hanging their lan- hanging lanterns on things. I like that this episode says, listen, Giles has been at an end for a while. Let's have him say it's over and then let him invent his own new thing. Then he's going to run the magic shop and he's going to, yeah. he's going to get a little bit more hippie in his own way too, you know? In the, in the, so I actually, so I, I said this about Restless. Um, I found an old DVD player just so I could watch episodes that have commentary on for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was surprised this episode didn't have commentary, but in the commentary for the next episode, they actually say how, like, they needed something to do with Giles. He, like, needed yeah. his own thing to do. And they literally were just like, oh, the magic shop, that's what he'll do. Um, and they had to decide, oh, well, he's going to buy it, like, blah, blah, blah. And I feel like this episode... You know, they do so much work with setting the characters up, giving them things to do. You know, in a few episodes, I think it's the third episode, Xander and Anya get an apartment. They move in together. Um, You know, uh, Buffy moves home with her mom. We all, we like get the pieces put in place very early because this season, I feel like this episode is one of the few standalone fun episodes. And then, you know, we get glory very early on. Mm -hmm. And the story's just like, once that story starts, it is the season which I love, but I yeah, can see why I, it might be a distraction distraction for other people. Actually, come to think of it, like, Tara has very little to do in this episode, but the thing she does have to do is be jealous of Dracula, which is the nature of her terrible fight with Willow right before Glory steals yeah, her mind, yeah. right? Like, that she will go back to Boys Town someday. So, yeah. like, mm-hmm. that, like, little frisson of anxiety ends up turning into the, the big fight that makes Willow's grief all the worse at the end of the season. Yeah. Rather yeah. than just acknowledging bisexuality. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think it's heaven forbid we do that. Um, so I also wanted to point out this fun fact that Rudolph Martin, the actor who plays Dracula, was Sarah Michelle Gellar's love interest on All My Children. And also oh. the same year he played Dracula on Buffy, he played Vlad the Impaler in a TV miniseries called Dark Prince, The True Story of Dracula. <laughs> wow. He has yeah, a little he's a German funny. actor. He's a German actor. So wait, is that accent real? Yeah, he's German. Oh. I thought it was a pretty good accent, too. So I guess it's mm-hmm. it actually is an accent. Never mind. <laughs> wow, Matthew? Really he's just, like, spent his career being in, like, orbit of Sarah Michelle Gellar. That's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. No, he has, like, a hundred-something IMDb credits. Like, he's one of those people who's just been in, like, everything. Well, he oh. plays that kind of Euro-trash vibe very well, yeah. right? Like... Well, and I feel like Buffy gets a lot of guest stars for one-offs like this that are, like, people who have been in, like, a thousand different things, but, like, maybe you don't actually, like, wouldn't know their name if someone said it. Right. Mm -hmm. I felt like he did a really good job, too, of walking that line between camp and then delivering lines with, like, actual impact. Like, when he says, she says, my friends are coming, and he's like, they're already here, but we are alone. And then he looks down and he says always alone and that oh. line actually hits pretty hard. i know i got a shiver just hearing you repeat yeah. it but at yeah. the same time he can also deliver lines like you are strange and off-putting go now and it's like hilarious <laughs> yeah yeah he did a, he did a really good job of walking that line and and i love that you've mentioned euro trash because i love that that's one of my other favorite lines in this episode is when they're like where's dracula and buffy says euro trashed <laughs> 
Yeah, it's an episode that is about getting to that place of dismissal of that sort of the gothic sensibility that informs Buffy so much is also something that the show is now thinking about. Like, how do we get past that? Yeah. What does it mean yeah. to stop being the damsel fluttering in distress at a, at a dark brooding dude, right? Mm-hmm. If you oh. if, just one more, if you go to his IMDb, he's actually a hot dad kind of. And he was, <laughs> born, and he was born in Berlin in 1967. Huh. Uh, seven. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, here's one of my other favorite scenes. So obviously I love Giles and the Lady Vamps, and I kind of wish that Riley had let him, you know, go a little bit further because if anybody deserves when Giles, it, Giles is trying dies. to go back, it's hysterical. <laughs> yes. Oh, silly me, my shoe. He, he, I didn't realize this. I think the last time that I watched it, but this time, like that drop is only about six feet. Yeah. And there are the room is filled with chairs. <laughs> so when he's like, "Oh, I couldn't get out," like the the whole set design is very much like yes. Well, yeah. I I was recently watching Scream Three, and it reminded me of the scene in Scream Three where in where there like there's a killer scene in the fake house, and Sydney discovers that the door is actually a drop into a bedroom. <laughs> Ugh, I wish more people would watch Scream Three. Parker Posey. I I argued I argued for you know how good Scream Three is. Oh no, I didn't. Right. Oh no, I did. We discussed it on our. We had a horror episode for Anthony and mm. Kirsten where we discussed Sarah Michelle Gellar's horror roles, and I think Scream Three is. Underrated. It's not that I need great, to make but a study. But of she's them. not in. Are we, were you talking about Scream Three or the Scream Two that she's in? When we because we rated Scream the Scream movies when we were discussing. Okay. Mm. Well, Scream Three. If you don't, if you go into it wanting a parody horror movie that's not a horror movie, then you'll give it an A plus. If you want it, if you want to be scared, you won't like it. So what else? So I I also I love that. I think did I say this already that the men all go to save Buffy, but she saves herself. She doesn't need them. Yeah. Um, right. Well, right. I want to do the, the the kind of end of the loop for Dracula biting Buffy, which is when she gets to bite him, but she's totally, it like does something weird to her where she is just kind of like, oh, that was gross and now I'm going to kill you, you know? Yeah. And it's it's a really interesting, because we've seen people bite vampires because that's how you have to make another vampire, but Buffy was not dead. So she would not become a vamp after the fluid exchange, but the but the the circle closes and it kind of gives her the power to be like, "Fuck you! I'm just gonna fucking kill you now." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel like it works out. I mean, Whedon has talked before about how the original the the kernel of the idea behind the show is what if the first scene, right? Like, what if a man and a woman went into an alley and we thought the man was going to attack her, but the woman kicks his ass, right? Like, that's what Darla does in the yeah. first, yeah. very right. first scene of the show. And that's what, like, con- the concept of Buffy is. Like, what if you empowered the woman? And what I kind of like about this episode is it thinks about, well, but then she's the monster, right? Like, th- what does it mean to say that that power now gives you the capacity to hurt somebody? That's, like, the thing Buffy spends all season processing, right? Like, what if death is her gift? What if the only thing she's in this world to do is do harm? Is there really something empowering about just reversing that? And she has to find a new way to use that power. I really like... I re- as much as it is, like, a funny, campy episode, I like how quickly... One of the great things about season five is it knows what it's doing right from the beginning. It gives us Glory so early. It yeah. starts the clock on what Glory's doing. Every episode... Even just the last... I never noticed, the fr- like, the implications of Dawn's first word being mom. Like, both of them yelling it at the same time. Yeah. This episode... This whole season is going to be about the two of them calling out for their mom, right? Like, mm-hmm. I just, like... I love this episode so much. <laughs> 
well, it, the way you described it also made the whole Buffy series sound like one great um, sequel to Final Destination, that she just can't <laughs> escape death. And eventually she's just trying to, but eventually she's just going to die. Yeah, I mean, part of me has always been, part of me has always been, not been sure that the show as much as i love six and seven part of me is like season five's ending is so amazing Mm -hmm. that sort of the imperfection of six and seven is itself doing interesting work like what does it mean to have to continue past the perfect ending is sort of an interesting question to me (laughs) well it's 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 really interesting because five says that it's going to deal with darkness but it's kind of when you put it up next to six and seven it makes it look like someone who goes to hot topic and calls it darkness (laughs) because six and seven are actually really dark and have really nihilistic themes don't expose me like this matthew (laughs) but not not that different like going to what you were just saying right like season six is going to be about buffy falling for a bad boy who sexually assaults her right like right the 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 tragedy becomes a farce becomes a tragedy again in with spike story so mm-hmm. this episode is like a weird fulcrum at the center of the series for me yeah that's true it is kind of like a balancing point and and we see her begin that tip when she because she chooses like she chooses the forbidden fruit when he holds the blood out to her she chooses it just a second baby here's my four-year-old <laughs> um but but she chooses it and then once she's tasted it she's like no that's not the way i'm gonna do yeah this. like yeah. she yeah. she's like fully she's just like no wait no we're not doing this like i yeah. well it's, it's an interesting like it's more than a triptych, but it's an it's because it happens so many times. But it's an interesting coda also to her relationship with the master. Like how many times she says, like, there's a way things are supposed to go, and I get bitten and I die and blah blah blah. But like th- that's not. I don't choose this way right now. Right, right. And Buffy there's a, resists there's a way, narratives. Yeah, yeah. Buffy, yeah, uh, subverts narratives and kind of turns them on their head. And Dracula, for as much as he knows about claims to know about her, should know that. But he doesn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also Dracula as a narrative, right? Like, that's the nice thing about, like, you guys, we started talking about how the threat of bringing Dracula into Buffy's universe is that it's like Batman being on the show. But everything about Buffy as a show's DNA is built by Dracula. So what I like is, like, the show is now confident enough to tackle its urtext, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's confident enough to say, what happens if we actually put her toe-to-toe against the thing that she is so much as a character about. And what happens when you have her say, actually, you're really fucking gross and I'm not into it. Like, I love that it it finds a way to take that pose. Well, it's also an interesting thing on, like, the idea of when she calls him gross, I think about how he's supposed to, how he's being sold as sexy and, like, Mm -hmm. you're supposed to be into it. You're supposed to like what I'm doing to you. And she's like, no, you're actually an old creep. Like, get yeah. the fuck away. <laughs> like, she's yeah. par- actively, par- like, changing, like, because it happens all the time. Like, you're like, oh, that older guy's cute. And, and you're like, no, like, what he's actually doing is creepy. He's coming into your house. He's telling you this is how it's going to be. Like, that's mm-hmm. not, that's actually Twilight, right? Like what you were saying before. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Actually, her, like, if Bella were ever to turn around and be like, Edward, you're stalking me. It's not cute. And actually going to what you were saying about how the show has certain rules about how vampires decay and get gross looking as they get older. There's something kind of cool about the fact that he isn't. But there, I also really like, I was noticing watching it on the bigger screen today, like he does have these like weird veins starting to spider into his face from his hairline. That's like really like there is sort of a decay that's happening just just behind the glamour that he's offering. Right. Like when Spike clocks it as like cheap tricks, there is something to that. Um, So 
sort of like he's hiding how gross he really is, which is like the novel too, right? Like he's a really old man at the beginning and then mm-hmm. suddenly he shows up in London, this like gorgeous foreigner, right? Like mm-hmm. he's concealing how disgusting he is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have you guys seen the Max Shrek Nosferatu? Oh yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So amazing. I think that's my favorite vampire ever. He kind of shows up in Angel, right? He's like on the submarine in that one episode. Yeah. <laughs> oh right. In that yes. weird Nazi episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, that so, like version of him that's in um, what we do in the shadows too, like oh, the sort yes. of. <laughs> yeah. So great. So um, great. I'm so excited for that TV series. Oh me too. I've never been more like upset when a monster died. I know. <laughs> Um, so so I really do like, I have to say that I think the Dracula Buffy fight is also just a really good fight. Uh Mm -hmm. Um, I do. So I really like the fight. I think that sometimes when we get a monster of the week episode, the fights are usually just like, like I think of you, Matthew, when you're like, well, it's an episode of Buffy. We have to have a fight. And sometimes they feel that way. But I think this fight, I don't know. I like her literally rushing head first into him to knock him over. Um, I think it's a well choreographed fight, and then you know they the don't torch, want... the bang of the torch on yeah. the table. I really love. <laughs> yeah, um, I and I and I like the idea that these men are like bumbling around this, to quote Riley, big honking castle, getting <laughs> nowhere, and like yeah. by the time they get there, she's like, "I got it, don't worry." Which are is we, are why we, we love understand Buffy. that the castle does the castle is the castle also magic? Like, did the castle really not exist or? Because Peter David actually has, in that series I was talking about, he has, Dracula's a, like, um, a client of Wolfram and Hart, and he tries to sue <laughs> because his castle is destroyed when Sunnydale is destroyed. But, like, I got the impression that in this, the castle was supposed to be magic. That's why Riley never noticed it before. I thought they were oh, just... Oh, I just thought it was a joke. Yeah, I thought oh, they were just being really? like a meta oh, okay. joke. Of like... I, because they, because from, because I think that the show has always joked about how big Sunnydale is because at first right. it, it's, uh, Cordelia in the first episode says it's a one Starbucks town. And then as we go on, it's like by two and three, there's so many cemeteries. And then by four, there's a college campus and right. now five, there's a mansion. So it's like yeah. the balance of what Sunnydale has keeps yeah. changing. And I think it's a running joke in the series. Yeah. I, Season I six, it, it has an international like, airport. Like, Right. Well, they, yeah. Then they go to drop off Giles. There's like you know, SAX. What were, you, what were you saying, Kirsten? Oh, I, yeah. I just I got the feeling it's very much like a wink, wink. Huh? We never noticed that castle before. Like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I took it as. Um, yeah. So, you know, then I I do love, like I said, Nicholas Brendan is really great in this episode. You know, from his saying Bader to the end speech when he's like rushes in, and he's like. I'm tired of getting the funny syphilis. As of this point, no more butt monkey. And we just cut to, like, Buffy, Riley, and Giles kind of, like, looking at each other. And she's like, check. No more butt monkey. Um, There's something really tragic about a character who wants to rise above being comic relief and can't do it. Like, like, can't. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's funny because it's funny that you say comic relief because in a lot of ways, actually, the show in this season is going to say, okay, Anya will now be comic relief. And will allow you to evolve. And, like, it's this weird thing of, like, sacrificing, like, Anya, a better Anya storyline for her to be very funny. Because in the next episode, if you notice, 
in the beginning of season five, Anya actually has some of her most iconic lines of all time. And <laughs> they start establishing her as someone who's money hungry for comedy. Right. Like they, they never talked about that before. But, you know, when Giles opens the, mag sho the magic shop, she becomes a super capitalist. And when she finds out in the game of life that you can trade in children for money, like, you know, that happens in real me in the next episode. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it is also very like, okay, them admitting that Xander has to go somewhere. And so they have to pawn off that role on to Anya, who's now right. full time because she's in the credits. Right. Which is get a nice, I do think the season seven correct for that again by Drew Goddard is really smart that like Anya is a survivor because Anya will be whatever she needs to be to survive. Like who am I is a question she asks and doesn't have an answer to like, She's a capitalist now, but the episode strongly implies she's literally the cause of, like, the communist revolution. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, like, I kind of like the eventual correction that her character learns to survive by being what people need her to be. Yeah. So I, I actually, I would, I don't know, we don't have to talk about all this right now, but I don't actually think that it's a correction. I think that it's a play on like how she doesn't need money when she's a demon, but when she becomes a human and has to learn what that means, <laughs> she becomes a greedy capitalist. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. I'm going to direct us to the very last scene because I think this is one of the absolute cleverest plot twists because the show can absolutely get away with it. But I really wish they had played it straight for a lot longer than they did. Because just the whole, like, surprise, here's her sister, and just the, just the you know, WTF of that moment. The and then I, I feel like, I, I wish they had played the, I wish they had played it really close to the chest for a lot of episodes and just never blinked. That would have been just, neat. Like, have I, real me land, like, five episodes in. Like, just have, yeah, the, just start talking yeah, about how Dawn's the thing. they could have done it. And they could have, <laughs> and I feel like they could have done it really well, where they just never even acknowledge the fact that suddenly she has a sister and I feel like that tension would have been really fun because I feel like this was such a smart such an out of the blue twist I wish they had played it a little bit um I wish they played a little bit longer game with it oh man I wish you'd I been in the room that would have been yeah, so great I agree with you, and it's one of the things that I don't love about the episode because I feel like the whole episode exists as a funny side a funny aside or mm -hmm. to to get to the last 30 seconds and the shock and it's kind of like that is a choice, and there are several choices that you can make when you're writing a 22-episode season of a series. But, like, do you want to blow the whole Dawn thing in 30 seconds with Buffy, you're going to take your sister to the movies, and then Mom, and, and, and that moment. And there are other ways that it could have gone. And, like, this was the way they decided. So, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I love it. No, I, love I get it. It's definitely like such an afterthought that has nothing to do with the rest of the episode. But I think that's why I like it. And I and that's why I wish that they had kept that sort of not even addressing it for long. Right. Or even just denied us access to Dawn's interiority for a yeah. little longer. Yeah. You know, because like one of the things real me is designed to do is sort of alleviate the anxiety that she is a danger to Buffy, you know, because yeah, we like, why alleviate that? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think they also might have had to going back to what I, Joe Reed always brings up is that at this point, people still didn't still thought that Tara was a danger to Buffy and them. Oh, that's true. Because we yeah. had not yet had family and there's still questions about who Tara is. Uh. And so, so I think that on some level they were like, well, we can't have two existential threats three feet away from Buffy at all times. <laughs> Who also seem to have a cute relationship. Like, But yeah. in, we're only in like, but it's only in episode five in Family, or episode, I forget if it's five or six, in episode five or six, where 
like that Terra threat is downgraded uh, to, and then she becomes the biggest part of our hearts. And so, yeah. and also, it, I feel mm-hmm. like did Terra ever actually feel threatening? Like, well, Joe like always says, and and it's one of those things like that. You know, on the message boards when the show was first out, that like people would be like, you know, because she did the spell to not show any demons, and she didn't help Willow that one point, and so there were mm-hmm. always questions if, and then Terra appeared in all the dreams. In mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there were a lot of questions as to whether she was this other kind of mystical being and if they were setting her up to be something much worse. I thought at this point when I was a kid that, because you can't not feel the warmth of her, but I thought yeah. at this point that she believed herself to be dangerous in a way that she couldn't control. Like it was kind of a version, like some kind of elevated version of the Oz thing where it's like mm-hmm. something bad would eventually happen, right? Which actually yeah. ends up being the narrative that her family has sold her, right? Like that something bad's going to happen someday and she won't be able to right. control it. And I well, actually thought that was what was going to happen. That's what I believed. I only knew about the message board stuff from Joe, but it, it always fascinates me to think about that because there was not the fan, there was not the sense of fandom <laughs> with the way that fandom exists now with anything yeah, when this first yeah. came out. People yeah. lost their minds when Dawn showed up. I remember that very well. Like people Well, I remember, like, I mean, when Dawn showed up, it was two thousand one. And so I was twelve and I had to explain to my friends <laughs> what happened to Miss Buffy the day before. <laughs> and had to be like, Well, she's a sister. She has a sister and they're like, What? And I was like, Yeah. She has a sister. I, now let's go finish seventh grade math. <laughs> God, I was I graduated high school by this point. Lord, um, I um, what was I gonna say? Oh, I always remember when I worked at Barnes and Noble. Um, we had a book that was called like Shows That Jumped the Shark, and they had a whole chapter on Buffy. And I remember being so mad because like, did the writer of this book actually watch Buffy, or did he just hear they had a sister? Because like, if you watch the show, they explain why Dawn's there. There is no actual yeah. like jumping the shark. And I right. feel like five seasons in, they have earned enough viewer loyalty to get away with that. And that's right. the thing. That's why I wish they had held that reveal a little bit longer, like the what she is. Because, like, you're five seasons in, your viewers trust you. Yes. Because mm-hmm. so, there are things, like, there are things you can do in a book three of a trilogy that you can't do in a book one. And right. it's the same thing. Like, you can do something in a season five of a show that you can't do in season one because your, your viewers trust you. And they're invested in the characters. And they're going to wait longer for a payoff. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I'm a, I've always been a little disappointed with how quickly they, t- they show their hand with Dawn, but it's fine. Whatever. But also I just, I just love that right before the credits, it's them going, mom. Yeah. I just love the audacity of it. Like there's something again, in the same way we're talking about, you can finally bring Dracula into the world. There is something magic. Like the pleasure of, Season five is like this magisterial, like, well, fuck you. We can do whatever we want. We can have Dracula. We can have a sister. Like <laughs> this sort of same thing happens on Star Trek, the next generation. They're like, the writers were very afraid to make any reference to the original series because they were always scared of it, like overwhelming the show. They didn't want to feel like an also ran. And here oh. Buffy in season five can just be like, yeah, Dracula, let's talk about it. Like, here's a new <laughs> sister, whatever. Like, we'll risk being the cousin Oliver thing because <laughs> um, because we can handle it. We're better writers mm-hmm. than that. You know, like, I like mm-hmm. that. And they can. They, confidence. they do. They absolutely do. Um, okay, so are we there, Matthew? The end? Yeah. What was your favorite outfit, Kirsten? Um, well, I really liked the, the black shirt and red leather pants combos. I have to say, when I noticed that Xander's Hawaiian shirt had sequins. <laughs> I mean, 
Wow. Yep. <laughs> Matthew, your favorite outfit? Um, this is actually I you know what's funny is I don't really remember a lot of outfits from this episode as much as I usually would. So Rude. I guess well, it's not rude. It's just, <laughs> the, to me, I don't know. Everything was really pedestrian. <gasps> All right, Anthony, favorite outfit. <laughs> uh, I I'll really go with like... Buffy's boat neck that she gets. That she, yeah. Buffy's boat neck. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would have said Xander's sequined Hawaiian shirt and like puffy white pants, um, <laughs> because I'm embarrassed to say I find it really hot. But <laughs> but. If that's off the table, we didn't actually talk about it, but Buffy wears the cutest roller rink shirt at one point. Yes. It says it's like black with this like red lettering that says like roller rink. And I just think it's so cute with her new hair. It's like really nice. She wears so red, leather, or, red leather pants with that as well. Um, oh. Yeah. Also, or there's a, it, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> uh, Riley wears like an all white, his like white knight outfit that he wears to save her in the castle i also find really like a cute little costume choice um i was gonna point out that they made a bust of that buffy with the roller skate tank oh and red leather really? pants and the like base of the bust is her gravestone from season five um <laughs> my favorite outfit is the black turtleneck and the red pants i just love buffy and hoops and then her hair looks great i'm probably mm-hmm. gonna say this for every episode of the goddamn season um <laughs> all right favorite scene matthew um, I like the final confrontation between Buffy and Dracula, and especially the the being the her biting him and saying it's gross. Okay, uh, Anthony. Oh, um, ugh, that's tough. I I think yeah, I do think the last scene is really important, um, just for like structural reasons for the season. So I think I would also lean there. I really like. I do like. Xander's Renfield stuff. I think Nicholas Brandon is having a lot of fun with it. Yeah. So maybe him eating the bugs. I'm into that too. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm changing my answer. My favorite scene is really weird and I never noticed it until this time. Riley's in the castle and he finds a locked door and he pushes on it and he's like, oh well, he shrugs and he walks away from it and suddenly Xander bursts out of it and the music like gets really spooky and it's like, you're not going through here and then he punches him in the face. I really like that. <laughs> Um, Kirsten, I think we're going to have the same answer. What's your favorite scene? Oh, I don't know. We're going to have the same answer. I just, I really love the opening graveyard where Buffy and Dracula meet. And they're like, sort of like, oh, you know who I am? Like, I just think it's really adorable and fun. Oh, I thought you were going to say the Xander scene where he says Bader to everything. Um, I mean, that's my, that's probably my favorite series joke. Um, but, but like, as a scene with everybody talking over each other, it works less well for me than, like, as an individual okay. scene. So, for me, it's that I just love Xander's Bader jokes, but I also do yeah. love, I don't know, Sarah Michelle, just, Sarah, Sarah Michelle Geller's delivery of, like, her face realizing it is Dracula and going, get out, is so good. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. All right, and how do we grade the episode, Kirsten? A, I love this one. Matthew? Uh, B minus. Uh, Anthony? Uh, I'm saying A+, plus, but I do kind of like the idea of grading it as though it were literally a B movie. That's really clever. I like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, I am saying A+. Plus. All right, I give it an A. Thank you guys for joining us on the season five premiere. Kirsten, we're so glad to have you as an official Scooby now. Uh, so happy to be one. And if you guys want to follow our podcast on Twitter, we are at SlayerFestX98. And if you want to follow Matthew, he is at Matthew Rodriguez, one T, a G, and a Z. And if you want to follow Ian, you can follow him on Twitter at Ian X Carlos. 
And Kirsten, you go first. Where can people find you? Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Kirsten White. Just my name. And Anthony? Uh, basically on any platform, if you type Mia Koopa, you're going to find me somewhere on there. So Twitter, Patreon, uh, Instagram, uh, etc. M-E-A-K-O-O-P-A. And uh, new and improved for season five, if you want to find us on Google Play, Slayer Fest is now there. Slayer Fest oh. on is now there. Congratulations. We are working on some other platforms. <laughs> and, um, on, and, on, and on Podbean. And on Podbean. And don't forget that if you like us, uh, subscribe and rate us on iTunes. That always helps. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks. Yeah. Bye. 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 Bye.